everybody. Welcome back to TFL Podcast. Another fantastic group. I mean, you know, I had Mike French on and my, my guest and my pod listeners kind of went into the, the shitter a little bit, but I'm bringing it right back with this group of guys. Really excited. Obviously, three active coaches uh, in the National Cross League right now, but their history in the game is, is pretty robust. That just means they're old. Um, but at the end of the day, super excited uh, to have head coach and GM of the Philadelphia Wings, Paul Day, long history in the game, and and uh, head coach of the Georgia Swarm, Eddie Camo, and uh, and good friend uh, in Saskatchewan in the Western Division, uh, head coach and GM of the Saskatchewan Rush, and Derek Keenan. Uh, welcome to the show, fellas. Excited to have you. Good to be on. For having me on, Steve. Thanks for having us. Looking well, forward to it. Quite a crew. <laughs> it's quite a crew, and the history that, that you guys have is, is kind of Eastern uh, Ontario lacrosse uh, royalty, if you will. And, and obviously, I love to be on a call with a guy who's won as many NLL championships as, as uh, Eddie Como has because, um, you know, I mean, I guess Jammers won a few, and everybody's won more than me. So, you know, whatever. Um, but uh, look, super Jammer, excited to have you guys. Jammer, you got the most of the most. He does. I don't know. Jammer, you must have the most. Jammer, how many yeah, of you have? Who, who's seven? counting? <laughs> we are. Everybody uh, else is counting. Four. How many seven. is it? I'm thinking. Seven? I think it's nine, I think. Not, nine. You're right. Nine. Yes. Nine. How many yeah. is a player? Two. Two, Two is a player. Wow. You could say two and a half because I was sort of quasi Toronto assistant coach in '99 yeah. in Toronto. Yeah, Reg Reg Dunlop. And Reg so, Dunlop. how many in, how many is assistant coach in Toronto? Because we could talk about the history of Eddie and and, and Jammer. Uh, that's what we, we call uh, Derek here. Jammer have had a history with the with the Toronto Rock originally as assistant coaches, and then went their own way. So. Yeah, yeah, so three, like three, three and a half, like, like I said, player coach the one year sort of that my last year I played and, and then three as a full assistant coach in Toronto with, with Eddie and Les. Yeah. Good times. But how'd you do yeah. in Anaheim? Uh, we were, we were a solid five and 11. <laughs> uh, pretty sure we beat Colorado that year though. And that was I don't beautiful. remember that. Yeah. Well, that was a good one. We we got beat, didn't we, Paulie, on the charity tour? We did, yeah. We had the West Coast charity trip, and these guys are talking about their uh, Toronto Rock uh, wins. They're all at the expense of my Rochester Nighthawks. Yeah, so thanks, Paul. I did have yeah. I did have Casey Powell and John Grant on and talked uh, a little bit about that early stage process in the game, and uh, and they they were certainly bitter about the Toronto Rock. But then I had I had Doily and and Shooter on, and and they had. You know, they had lots to say about their great time in, with the Toronto Rock. So, you know, um, obviously this show ultimately has a ton of guys who end up being from Ontario or British Columbia, and I have to broaden my horizons and bring on more guys uh, from the U.S. But uh, anyway, fellas, I want to I want to get to, you know, my first question, and just to set the stage, and I ask this of everybody, is, you know, Paul Day, who put the, fir- who put the stick in your hand for the first time? I'll be my – both uh, my two older brothers, they both played. Um, and my old brother Steve 
four years old. I mean, he played till he played junior B and that was it, but they were both playing. So more than likely it was more uh, goalie stick and they were shooting balls at me. So uh, I started, <laughs> that's how I started to play. Younger brother. How about you, Eddie? My, uh, my dad worked at Westinghouse in Hamilton and they had, uh, they ran a hockey league and the guy who ran the hockey league, Bill Buckley, who's in the Ontario lacrosse hall of fame. Uh, he, uh, he started up a lacrosse league. And so a lot of the Westinghouse employees went to that. And, uh, so my dad got me into it. My brother and I both started. My dad knew nothing about it. And, uh, again, best thing, uh, best thing that ever happened. Jammer, how about you? My cousin, Fred Greenwood, first cousin who, uh, he was on the 78 Team Canada that won, obviously, the legendary world championship in field. Quite a bit older than me. I was like five, I think, when he gave me a stick. But he played for the 60s Gales team. Interesting story with him, though, was he was – Jim Bishop was famous for recruiting athletes. And uh, he, so never he never played never talked lacrosse. to you? No, no. He never played lacrosse in his life, my cousin. And uh, he was the stick boy for a couple of years. And then he started playing and had a great career, played in New West, a couple of man cups. And so he's the guy I did. So I spent a lot of time with him banging the ball off the wall. So I don't want to date you guys, but I think it's safe to say that all those sticks that got put in your hands for the first time were wooden sticks. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't think it was I'm pretty sure when I started, there was no plastic. I could be wrong, but I don't know. It probably that wasn't invented then. I don't know if plastic itself was invented then. <laughs> no. <laughs> Look, the no. question I – so did you guys ever play without a mask? I did. I played, yeah. yeah, I played my first four years no mask. Uh, well, five years really, and then my last year junior I put a mask on. Lost a tooth that year and got cut out pretty good. But it was easier to fight that way too, Steve. I wouldn't know. I know. I was never in a fight in my life. I started when I started. Not one that I won, anyway. When I started in Tyke, uh, we didn't wear uh, we didn't wear masks when I started playing. And I remember taking a taking a cut right on the uh, right on the eyebrow with a stick. And and then I think when we got to Tyke, we started uh, or like a couple of years of the Tyke, we started wearing the big football uh, T-bar ones. Which were which yeah. were pretty cool, and uh, and then in junior I, I wore a mask all the way through, and then in junior I, I remember a practice my mask kind of was all screwed up, so I, I said, "Oh, I just won't go without a mask for practice." Took two sticks in the face. I said, "Forget that." Put one back on. Yeah, yeah I'm well, sure, Jammer, you started without a mask. So now, now you got to ask, like the oldest guy, entire minor lacrosse, no mask at all, little mouth guard. Yeah. And then junior, we started wearing the football style sort of quarterback mask a little bit. Um, they were pretty good. And then I, I had the brilliant idea my last year of junior to wear nothing at all. And I think I got cut for about 40 that year. So that was smart. <laughs> yeah. I, I wore a football face mask in my first year in the mill. And and all the guys from the last episode that we were on with the, with the uh, um with the wings guys that I played with were like, when I showed up with this football face mask, they just didn't know what to think. Right. Like a bunch of American guys that are used to, you know, used to wearing a field bucket and, you know, the strings that you tighten up and, and I showed up to camp wearing a football mask and I think I scared a bunch of guys. So, you know, they, <laughs> they, they figured they'd keep me on the team cause I must've been crazy, but you know, anyway, I, and I think most, of the, guys, right. most yeah. of the guys that wore those football masks too, cause they were so heavy. 
if you, I'm sure if I ask every one of you guys, you guys all probably have a scar right across here from your helmets coming down. And the Peterborough guys were smart. They were the first guys who started peeling, peeling yeah. the, uh, the, the rubber off the football mask to make it lighter. Everyone, everyone had cuts across their nose just because the helmet was so heavy. It would come down. And not too often, not would... too often, Eddie, someone says the Peterborough guys were smart. <laughs> <laughs> You're right about that. That's I for sure. We had the, best thing about, the best thing about Peterborough guys is they're really good at all of the bar games. Like, they beat you in darts. They beat you in pool. They beat you in any, any game that you play in a bar, Peterborough guys will beat you at. Yeah, not me, Steve. I left when I was 19, yeah. so as Eddie will tell you, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not very good at any of those games. That's clean yeah, living, right? Paul, you can't take the burrow out of the guy, though, let's be honest here. I That's had, correct. I had, I had a player who used to say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to the gym. And I say, hey, when did Peterborough get a bar named Jim's? <laughs> uh, hey, Jammer, I got a question for you. How good was Joe Neuendijk at lacrosse? Uh, he was, and you know, we all know how good Gary and Paul were. He was as good or better. Like they were the, I think, I think he's a year, I think he's a year older than Gary and Paul. And he, of course he stopped playing. I think when he was 19, that was his last year. He was as good or better than in those two. So he was unbelievable. Really good. Steve, we we played them in Whitby. Like he's two or three years older than me. We lost fifteen nine, and he had fourteen points. <laughs> yeah. He could run. He was, really on, good. <laughs> he was and I played against them too. He was always six years younger. I played against him in uh, my last year junior. He, he played a year against. I played a year against him. So yeah, he was real good. For those for those of our listeners out there that uh, you know just kind of coming to the TFL podcast for the first time and, and don't know uh, Joe Neuendijk, uh, a member of the, I think, is he in the National Hockey League Hall of Fame yet? Yep. Right? Yeah, he is. A member of the National Hockey League Hall of Fame is, uh, is Derek Keenan's uh, uh, brother-in-law, right? Yeah, correct. So, um, yeah, so a great lacrosse player in his time. There's probably a ton of guys that, that people talk about that, that played lacrosse in their youth uh, before they went on to great hockey careers, and and uh, he's certainly at the forefront yeah. of that. And Adam Oates, well, I know I, Adam, Adam Oates is a year younger than me. He was incredible too. Like just really, really good, really talented, skilled, athletic, real, yeah. real good player. Another uh, another connection there. Adam Oates' uh, brother-in-law is Mike Poulin. Oh no, so, kidding! Oh, sister, really? yeah, sister married uh, Otsi, and uh, so we were out and uh, we played in New England one time. They live in well at the time they were living in Jersey, and uh, he came out to the out to the game and came to shoot around, and you know hadn't had a stick in his hand for a lot of years, so was out shooting on Pooley, and uh, and of course Pooley was terrible that night, so that was he said I don't want him coming anymore. I get too nervous. <laughs> I'm a Hall of Fame hockey guy watching me play. I've had the uh, I've had the really cool experience to uh, uh, in the last few weeks had some interactions with Wayne Gretzky and and uh, to hear him talk about his passion and affinity for the game of box lacrosse is is pretty empowering for us. Uh, but knowing that you know we kind of have a, a history of people. I mean, look, Paul, you're you're know the head coach of the Anaheim Ducks pretty well, who was a San Diego. Uh, Gull's head coach here in the last couple of years. Um, 
So yeah, the, the connection between, you know, early hockey and lacrosse for most Canadians, right. Was we played a lot of, uh, we played a lot of lacrosse in the summer and then they put the ice in and, and we played a lot of hockey. So that was our transition. We're multi-sport athletes in the same arena. Yeah, for sure. I mean, growing up in Peterborough, we played almost the 10 to 12 guys were on the same hockey team, minor hockey, minor lacrosse all the way through. So sometimes yeah. you had the same coach. Cali BBQ is proud to be an official sponsor of your San Diego Seals. Buy our slow smoked barbecue at any Seals home game or online anytime at www.calibbq.media. Well, hey, let, let's transition a little bit to uh, the the major indoor lacrosse league, which all of you guys had a hand in, in kind of uh, being pioneers in that league, and and then on to the national lacrosse league. But Eddie, talk about the first time you walked into a pro locker room, and and what what your th- kind of first thoughts were. Well, I'll, I'll go back a little before that. First time I saw a game was we uh, went down with a bunch of guys from university on spring break down to North Carolina to NC State to play some games and. On the way back, we went to watch a Eagle Pro box lacrosse game in Baltimore, and we're, we were watching this game. I remember being with we had with Ross Cowie there, and we were watching the game, and we we're saying, "Ross, you got to get out there. These goalies are are terrible, right? Because you know, they were American guys that didn't know how to play box at the time." And but it was it was it was it was great. There was thousands of people at this game, and it was it was awesome to be part of. And and for me to. Uh, uh, you know, I started out with a lot of the guys I played with in, in senior lacrosse. Ended up playing with the Bandits, you know, Bob Hamley and a bunch of guys. So I, I had season tickets. I went to the games, uh, and I was lucky enough to get. Do you remember back in the ESPN two days, the Deuce? Uh, they, they would be uh, doing the games, and I got uh, uh, Tommy Howe and Keith McLeod ended up working for them, and I got pulled in. So these guys were getting paid a hundred bucks to play in the games and I was getting paid $50 to be a spotter up for ESPN too. So it was a good gig. I had a lot of fun doing that. So you got a career for you after coaching is over. I, I, I was, I was good. For, the best part was watching, your, watching your name uh, or watching, you know, you, you, you would give them some obscure stat like, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Philadelphia hasn't had a loose ball in 16 minutes. And then, you know, five seconds later that would show up on the screen. I, it, it was a lot of fun. And, and I left with fifty bucks cash, so it was it was a pretty good deal. <laughs> Where'd you spend that, Eddie? <laughs> Look club, baby. Look club. Look club. <laughs> yeah, you hey, need more than us, probably. Polly, <laughs> Polly Day, how about you? Where first time you walked in to a pro locker room? Oh yeah, well, Jammer's on the team, so it's basically the NL Hall of Fame: Jimmy Valman, Jammer, <laughs> uh, Kevin Alexander. John Tavares, we were the same age, but uh, it was like a, a who's who. Darius Kilgore, guys that I played against. And uh, it was probably in Welland. I don't even remember where it was. We went to these tennis bubbles, but uh, the one – I was at police college, so I was at the academy, and I had to drive from London. I don't know if you remember this, Jammer. Sometimes we practice in Buffalo, sometimes Canada, sometimes Rochester. So I drive yeah. from London to Ontario on a Tuesday night. Got to be back – got to be up at 6 a.m. to March. No gas pay, just drive by myself, probably five hours to Rochester, get to the convention, the county fairgrounds, pretty cool looking place. We come out, no seats or anything, boards are up, start practicing, run around, we start shooting on the goalies, someone hits the boards, and all the boards fall down. 
<laughs> so practice is over. Like in the I was there. Hour. Yep. And then we got to drive home another six hours. It's like a 10 to 12 hour drive day. Yeah, we didn't get gas money back then. So yeah, yeah it was. Uh, Hence the but, start of the PLPA. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that group, that group was like, we lost our first three games because we didn't understand the rules. Once we got the rules down, yeah. there, there were no rules. And then uh, we rolled. Yeah. Yeah, well, you walked into a locker room, you know, right around the same time. But, but what were your impressions of that whole Guy, but I, I was I'm playing pro sports. What was I, that like? I, I was 31 years old, though, so it was a little different for me. And it was it was quite a group, like Paul said. And, and of course, John, Johnny Meridian was a GM, so everything was fantastic. Everything was wonderful, you know, and everything was, was going to be great. And, uh, and we had all these follies that went on. And, and like Paul said, we lost it for three. But um, I, I knew we had a tremendous group of guys, like just – you know, and, and real talented group of players. And, and the, the funniest part about that season is, you know, it goes down as a championship for the Buffalo Bandits. But, of course, back then it was the MILL. There was no franchises. The team was owned and operated by Russ Klein and Chris Fritz. And, and uh, as the season went on, like we were, started 0-3, there was only eight games, but we were getting 16,000-plus at the old odd in Buffalo, and they managed to finagle the playoff format so that we got into the playoffs because back then it was basically the top two teams played for the championship. There was no other playoffs, so we got in so we could get a home game and uh, ended up winning, and then I think we went undefeated the next year too and won two in a row, but it, it was, it was pretty funny. Gary, it, it Gary was pretty cool to see the story from Detroit. <laughs> They just exactly. They just changed the format so that yeah, we're in and we're like, oh, this is great because we know we're gonna win. We're pretty good. But uh, it was pretty funny. Eddie, what what was your pathway to coaching in the National Lacrosse League? Talk about that. And I, I know you have a an illustrious career coaching college lacrosse and and collegiate lacrosse in in Canada. But how do you get to be you know an NLL coach? Well. I think for me, it, it really, like, like a lot of people, it comes down to, you know, the path you choose and some connections you make along the way. And, and the uh, uh, coaching at McMaster and Hamilton for all those years, our arch nemesis was uh, down the highway, uh, Brock University in St. Catharines, and Johnny Meridian was coaching that team. So I got to know Johnny through, through the university league, and when – when the uh, and, and I was coaching some minor lacrosse and some junior lacrosse at, at the time, and then when uh, and, and I always knew that was going to be my path. My career was kind of winding down uh, playing, and uh, but when we when they first started up with the NLL in Hamilton before the the first year of the Ontario Raiders before the team moved to Toronto, I had called Gypsy and you know kind of said, "Hey Johnny, I'm here. And I'm a local guy," and and so I, I always tell people, "I owe Johnny." my career in, in lacrosse because uh and i think for most of us it was our, our connections and our you know our resumes that's one thing but your connections uh, get you in the door so gypsy johnny meridian helped me uh get started that first year and and i didn't really know less at all and and obviously got a chance to to work with less and became great friends with him and, and learned a lot and and got a chance to you know work with derek as well in toronto and with paul and with you so 
The good news is Johnny probably owes you money, so you got him back at some point. Yeah, there you go. True. <laughs> sorry, Johnny. <laughs> Not sorry. Uh, how about you guys? Like, like obviously playing is that pathway, but uh, what's the pathway uh, for you, Paul, to, to become a coach? Uh, you know, I played in Buffalo the one year. I went back to the other two camps. I was pretty young, and I did play C-Cross in the summers. I played 90 in Vancouver and then got hired with the police, so wasn't you get a lot of time off to play. There wasn't any teams around St. Catharines, so I started coaching the, the junior A's in St. Catharines when I was 24. I had to coach them in 94, 95, 96. And then, uh, again, uh, Rochester got a team in the fall of 94, so it was my after my first year in junior A, I was 25, maybe. And, again, Gypsy. Johnny called and said, hey, you should apply for this job. So I applied and uh, spent the next 11 years there and then ended up back there. So, yeah, it was a uh, gypsy call. I interviewed with him, and I can't remember, Chris or or Russ, I can't remember, one of them in Buffalo where we used to practice in Buffalo, Jim. I, I want to know, tell me who who's the GOAT in our game, John Tavares, Gary Gate. Come on. I'll let you start, Eddie. I I got asked this not too long ago, and I said, uh, and I, I said John Tavares just because of longevity. Um, um, it, it, uh, but I mean, I, I think for someone who's done been the most uh, influential and instrumental in our game, I mean, it would, it would be Gary. I, I you know just what he's done in men's lacrosse, what he's done in women's lacrosse, what he's done in equipment. Like all those, like he's, he's been, you know, that, that part of it for sure. But I think as a player, I mean, JT played 25, you know, like 25 years of pro lacrosse. And then by the way, I remember someone saying to me when he was like 44 and we, we beat them in a game and they said, oh, he's, he's looking old. I said, he scored 53 goals this season. I said, I think he's still doing pretty good. So I, I think, you know, <laughs> I, that's why I would say Tavares. Jammer. Yeah. Uh, that's it's a really tough call, but others have asked me that, including my son, and I would go with with JT uh, for for many reasons. Um, and, and believe me, Gator to me, like what an athlete, Gary and Paul, like tremendous athletes, kind of, and and played in an era too. You know, both did Johnny and and those guys played where you actually at one time had to play both ends of the floor, and both were or all three were good at it. But you know, JT just always evolved his game like just you know when he was a young guy with us in 92 and 93 in Buffalo he, he was an he was an inside guy a, a off ball guy and not really a one-on-one -on -one or outside shooter and he evolved his game continually when he got older he developed a tremendous perimeter shot like you know he, he could just catch it and shoot it and pick a corner like nobody else and just continually evolved his game always stayed fit uh, I think he's, he's in my mind, the best. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you guys, JT. Uh, I mean, he, he can do it all. Um, it's funny, late in the game, though, I had Gate in Rochester, and, I mean, there'd be games he'd be sitting there on the bench with, like, blowing down his face. He wouldn't say anything. He'd just go out and, like, 
if there was one guy with the ball at the end of the game I'd want, it'd be Pauly. Gary could take over a whole game, but I think JT's, I mean, he did it all. And even Jammer late in his career, he became such a great passer too. I mean, yeah. 24, 25 years. You know, I'd say in the NLL, it would be JT, but it's maybe overall with the MLL and the NLL, it would be Gary. Well, right on. it's just another example of bullshit Eastern biased. Um, one more time, a Western <laughs> guy gets the short end of the stick, even though he may be the greatest player in the game. It's just the Eastern guys band together. They probably called each other before the show started and said, hey, he's going to ask this question, and we're going to say this because there's this massive Eastern bias. It's, it's, it's really hey, painful. Hey, it wasn't on the agenda. What are you talking about? We didn't call each other. Hey, speak, speaking on behalf of the other guys, the only thing I'm shocked with, Steve, is that you didn't include your name in those other two guys. <laughs> well, I mean. Hey, hey, if, if you were to ask me who the greatest finisher was of all time. Oh, thank you so much. Who, who I, would that be? Are you really going to put me in that list? That's so no. fantastic. I, no. I, I, <laughs> thank you. Okay, fellas, that's a wrap. This has been a great show. The just a, just so for our Western friends, the greatest finisher of all time, Kevin Alexander, not Thank even you. close. Yeah, well, that's true. And he not took even close too. Took faceoffs too. Yeah, not yeah. even close. Never missed. We were we chatting. Didn't. We were chatting earlier before we went on on uh, on record on this, and we were talking about the 2007 World Games in Halifax, and I was being accused of playing <laughs> golf every day, uh, but. <laughs> Really, Kevin, I never played golf in Halifax. It was too damn cold. But Kevin Alexander took his golf clubs to Manchester, England in 1994, and he was on the – I was a starting attackman in that team, and, Eddie, you can attest to this. I never saw him or Stu aired the entire trip except for games when they showed up. They weren't even on the team bus. <laughs> yep. I, I remember it well, and he got he got hurt too, which I think hampered his golf game a little bit. Yeah, he did killed his golf game. We ended up yeah. finishing third. It's like the yeah. only time in the history yeah. of the World Games that Canada has finished third. So I have that to put on my resume. But anyway, um, I, I'm going to change gears a little bit because you know we've uh, all been general managers in this league together, and, and uh, I want to know who the president of the Liars Club is in the National Lacrosse League. <laughs> Uh, who's the best at the liars club oh. Oh, they don't want to say anything is it the host? active uh, if not is it the host not the host What's I, I think the host there's, there's a think... difference between a liar and a bullshitter <laughs> yeah. what's the difference well you're a pretty good bullshitter but at the end of the day <laughs> I can usually get the truth out of you. <laughs> I you think, think like I'll start, and I love him, but I say Bob Hamley had to be up there. He was pretty good. Has to be I number one. Yeah. Like good call, jammer. Just look at you and tell you something that just never was never panned out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hammer is pretty good. Eddie. I think that I think there's a I mean there's probably a tie for everyone in the league in first place in that everyone's pretty good at that but I think Kurt Kurt Miloski in current day is a guy who uh, sometimes hard to get a hard to get a straight answer out and you know he'll call you up and ask for one of your players and he'll offer you you know some guy who's on their practice roster right and is just so 
so, sometimes a liar's club is, is you know, guys that uh, also uh, embellish the value of what they have. And, uh, yeah, there's a few guys who do that. So that's I, I love the fact that all of you guys, like, you would go into a call. It didn't matter who it was with. And Bob Hamley was good at it. But it was like you were going in with a loaf of bread to try and get a T-bone steak. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, just because this was – uh, Bob McMahon was the best at this. Slip was the best at explaining this. But he said, just because you have a pile of shit doesn't mean that if you give me more shit, it doesn't make it a bigger pile of shit. Mm -hmm. So uh, I know, yeah, Bob Hamley was the best because when he ultimately came to work for me, I started to see his um, his strategy in, in the approaches that he would make when he was going out to make a deal. And I would just shake my head because I'd probably been on the other end of that conversation about 30 <laughs> times. So it was, it was good. Talk about the 2005 NLL All-Star game in Calgary. Oh, Eddie, Eddie. So it, I thought oh, it was supposed to be uh, – Darius Kilgore might have been the smartest guy that year because he was supposed to be the assistant. And uh, me and Eddie are in Rochester, and I'm like, Darius like, I uh, can't, can't make it. So I'm like, okay, well, hey, Jim Jennings, do you mind if Eddie comes with me? Eddie and I will go. And, uh, Jim Jennings was the, a commissioner at the time, right? Yeah. And yeah. we get the news, hey, we're playing in Toronto. Philly and Buffalo are playing. All four Eastern teams are meeting at the private hangar, like where the Raptors and the Leafs are going to they take their private planes. And, and it so was we, an end. It was an NBC game. That was the NBC season. So they were they didn't want to risk us flying out on a, a commercial airline in the morning because they said, oh, no, we, we can't, you know, we've paid a lot of money to be on NBC. So, yeah, they charter this plane. So as Paul said, we meet at the Raptors, you know, at the private airstrip, uh, just Pearson Airport in Toronto, and got a little bit of a shock when we got there. Yeah, we were excited. Like, everybody's having some beers and some snacks, and then uh, – uh, waiting for the other teams to get there, and we come outside. We're all expecting it. They said a private jet. We come out, it's a Dash 7 from, like, 1958 with the propellers, and we're going to Calgary. So we stopped. Yeah, it was like the plane from Major League. We stopped. <laughs> uh, the heat doesn't work. Dallas <laughs> Elliott and John Tavares have got the pillows over their heads for the heat. Everybody's bundled up. The equipment's in there. We stop in Winnipeg. <laughs> to fuel up, I get off the plane. I go right to the place on the planet. Oh, uh, I, I, I went I and called WestJet. Got me and Eddie two return flights because not only that, they were flying home on the plane right after the game. <laughs> so then we we land in Calgary, and it's like nine o'clock in the morning. Game's at noon. Doc Emirates doing it on NBC. And I looked at the pilot. I go, I could have been in Europe by now. <laughs> <laughs> I said the direction. When, when we landed in Winnipeg, I said to Paul, because uh, no, there was no lights on. The, the lights didn't work on the plane either. So it was pitch black, and we're flying. And I, I can't sleep on planes. So I'm, like, looking at all these small towns. We're only flying, I think, at, like, 15,000 feet in the air. I, I can't even see my watch. I'm trying to look at my watch. And then and I'm thinking, well, geez, it looks like it's almost like we left at 1. It looks like it's almost 6 o'clock. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe, maybe we didn't have to fuel in, in Winnipeg. And then the guy comes on and says, hey, we're just starting our descent into Winnipeg. And uh, 
and and so that we're freezing on the plane. And I said to Paul, I'm, I, I said, I'm going to say something I never thought I would say in the middle of winter. I'm going to go outside to get warmed up in Winnipeg. It was warmer outside than it was in the plane. And then, uh, and then when we, 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 so we finally get to Calgary, they come out right on the uh, tarmac, they pick us up, we go to the hotel, and I'll never forget, hey, Paul, we're going to the hotel, Jim Jennings is there apologizing to us. Brad Waters, who was the owner of the Rock Den, flew out uh, commercial that morning uh, from Toronto. He was there before we were. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, and uh, we're, we're like literally going into the airport or going into the hotel to get to our rooms because, you know, most of us hadn't slept or, you know, tried to sleep on a plane. And they had the luggage at the back of the plane. So guys were actually like, were like sleeping on top of the, the, the equipment bags in, in the cabin at the back of the plane. And we, uh, as we're going into the hotel, the Western team is going, leaving to go to the rink. And, and Paul, I remember Paul saying to the guy, like, hey, buddy, we're going to sleep. We'll get there. We'll get there for game time. And that's pretty much what we did. We got there for game time. It was a, oh, great, no. I mean, it was a great game, though. It was. It went to overtime. Overtime. It was an unbelievable yep. game. It was a great showcase on NBC, you know, for, for lacrosse. It, it, I mean, Doc Emmerich doing the game was – I mean, it was a super cool event. Well, and it was funny. At the beginning of the game, they said, hey, it's NBC. We've got two hours. We've got to keep this to two hours. So they were, they were praying not to have overtime. But they, the refs came to us and said, hey, look, we don't want to call any penalties. So, you know, it's kind of honor system on the bench. You know, we, we, want, to, you know, we want you guys to be, you know, be on the honor system. And, but we're not going to call any too many men penalties. So I tell the guy working our door, who I think was the Calgary guy, I said, hey, buddy, like just, you know, just – you know, let's keep, be honest with this. We'll play it straight up and everything's good. So opening face-off, you know, we win the face-off. We go down, we take a shot. They make a save. I see the goalie passing the ball. And this ball is, like, heading towards our net. And I'm thinking to myself, who the hell is that ball going to? And there's Dan Dawson standing at our restraining line, <laughs> catches the ball, goes in, one nothing. So I turned to the guy on Calgary on the bench. I said, I remember what I said, forget it. So it was, uh, it was a free-for-all. But it was a great game. It was probably – there might have been another one after that that was a good all-star game. But, I mean, that was a quality game that was – it was real across. It wasn't one of these, you know, slap and tickle 25, you know, 24 games where no one played defense. It was, it was, it was a real game. Was JT the old, scored in overtime. The 4 game in Denver was fun. That's, that's the game that uh... – the game JJ Albert hits Glenn Clark, but you know that we've I've talked about that at nauseum with some other guys. But um, the my favorite one of my favorite All Star moments in the National Cross League was was 2009. We hosted it again in Denver, and uh, and Dan Dawson comes to me and he says, "Hey, if I score, can I go jump in the hot tub?" And I'm like, yeah, sure. So he scores, and all these celebrations were happening. And as you guys know, Mark Steenhouse was the greatest all-star player in the history of our league. He, he would score like 10 goals all the time. So Dan Dawson scores a goal, and he leaves. He runs out the Zamboni entrance, and he disappears. And the next thing you know, he comes out at the hot tub uh, – we had in Denver with the models and he jumps in with all his gear on and he sat in the, he sat in the hot tub for the fourth quarter watching the game with all the models. It was, it was classic. It was an absolute classic story. 
A quick break. This episode is sponsored by Manscaped.com. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming and hygiene. If you've been listening to our channel for a while, you know that we are big fans of Manscaped and their Perfect Package Essentials Kit, which is the world's finest all-in-one manscaping kit that makes manscaping safe and easy. And just when you think they've got it all figured out, they take it to the next level. I'm excited to be one of the first to confirm that after 18-plus months of research and development, the new Lawnmower 3.0 Waterproof Body Trimmer has just been released and comes with a ton of new upgrades. Get 20% off plus free shipping from your Perfect Package 3.0 purchase when you use promo code SEALS20 at manscaped.com. That's code SEALS20 for 20% off at manscaped.com. Now, back to the pod. So, um, Jammer, you, you, I mean, you've been around the league for a while. You've been in a number of teams in Portland and Anaheim and Edmonton and Saskatchewan, you know, like Toronto. Like, Give me your best travel story um, in the NLL. Uh, I could give you a, a gazillion bad ones, so I'm going to give you a <laughs> – because there are many. Uh, a couple good ones. Uh, Albany 2000 – Eddie, you, you might have to correct me on this one. 2002 or three championship when we chartered to Albany. 2002, yeah. 2002, and they chartered. There was a big kerfuffle about who should be hosting in the game, and that they obviously finished in first, so they should be hosting it. But our ownership thought that that wasn't right. But at any rate, we uh, chartered there, and then chartered back with because it was you know charter flight, only you know 25 staff or like total, and uh, but we had fans on the on the plane. <laughs> and uh, and by the time we got on the plane, they weren't very sober. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was quite a flight home. But the other one, Steve, and you'll remember this, and this is another charter situation, and this is, again, classic NLL where, you know, it's commercial flights and, you know, you plan as best you can. And uh, I think it was maybe four or five years ago when we had a back-to-back in Colorado, um, in early April of all things, like, you know, you think weather's pretty good, huge snowstorm rolls into Denver and we're not getting out and we have to play in Saskatchewan the next night. And uh, we got a taste of what it's like in, in other pro leagues where we got on, we got a charter, both teams, we get on the plane together. And the best part is we got there before you're, you were in Colorado at the time. We got there at the airport before you guys. And, you know, I'm trying to be humble and, you know, and be the good guy. And I'm like, well, so, and, and you know, it's like on a charter. I, I've not been on very many. I think I've been on two or three. You basically you don't go through customs. You don't go through security. You get out of a, a bus and you get on the plane. So we walk on and we're there first. And I turned around to my owner, Bruce Urban, and I said, Bruce, like, I, I don't know what to do here. Do we sit at the front of the plane or do we go to the back? He says, we won. We sit at the front. I said, sounds good to me. <laughs> right in the front row. Sounds good. Yeah, I mean, you could probably – I don't know that that – it doesn't happen in certainly a lot of other leagues, obviously, where – you literally played on the night before against the team, and then we all got on the plane, and then sat together on the plane, flew up to, uh, you know, to our destination, and yeah. 
and did that. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't happen very often. I woke up that morning and said, uh, after we lost, and I said, you know, I'm not going on this trip. <laughs> I didn't, didn't bother to go. So yeah. I, think, I think we ended up beating you the next night. So, Hey, Steve, we had, uh, we back in the day, you know, we, we stayed at some nice hotels in the day, but back in the early days of the league, you know, it was pretty wild and a lot of fun and a lot of craziness. And uh, I'll never forget, I won't say the name of the place, but you guys all know it. And I think I sent a couple of you a picture of it this year when we were back on Long Island when we played in uh, New York, we, we pull up to the, uh, we pull up to the establishment and we are like shocked, you know, at what this place looks like. And, and uh, I'll never forget Derek gets off the bus <laughs> and he says, well, look on the bright side guys. There's no way we can get thrown out of this place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and believe me, believe me, we tried. We that tried. was back in the game when that happened a lot. Well, you remember the hotel in in uh, in St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, called the? It was like the Kelly Inn or something like that. And oh yeah, that was a beauty. There was there's been a few beauties along the way uh, that we've stayed in, but uh, you know we've we've lived with it. But whatever. So throughout kind of your careers in in the National Lacrosse League, who's the most underrated player you guys have ever encountered? whether you coached him or he was on another team, who's the most underrated guy? Uh, for me, I would say right now, the last four or five years, Shane Jackson. Yeah. He is, like I'd have that, he's unbelievable. And, uh, you know, I got more credit last year, this year, but he is, uh, he's one of the most underrated guys, I'd say. So do you think we can get him for a loaf of bread? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, can I ask Throwing a T-bone, nice, eh, Steve. <laughs> T-bone of the loaf of bread. How about you, Eddie? Who do you think most underrated? Well, guy? I'll, I'll go back some years, and and Paulie, uh, Paulie used to always talk about this guy in, in Rochester. But uh, and, and I'm going to pick two guys. But one was Jeremy Hollenbeck, uh, yeah. such a great player. And and those are the when I think of underrated guys, I often think of the guys who go out there and do their job and work hard and are quiet and can be relied on and the other guy who got some notoriety in his career but I, I had him I had him in three places and tried everywhere else I was to get with Sandy Chapman and uh, I love Chappie and Chappie worked hard never questioned anything you asked him to do and uh, you know he, he ended up winning a defensive player of the year the one year but prior to that he was pretty under the radar but when you'd ask a guy like John Grant who he hated to play against he'd say oh, I, I hate playing against Chappie because he's no, I, I can't shake them. So those are two guys that I always think of when, when I think underrated players. Uh, I, I would say for me, probably Curtis Knight. Um, you know, I coached him a long time in junior and in the pro level and um, just kind of a do everything kind of guy, do whatever he asked him to do and play different roles if needed and uh, competitor. Small guy, but plays big. I would say Curtis would be the guy that comes to mind for me first. And once again, all Eastern guys. So, right. you know, never. It just continues. Several. Several guys. <laughs> I'm going to say a name, fellas, and uh, and I'm going to – I just want your reactions to, to this name. And 
I got a list of guys and, and certainly guys that we have uh, a lot of respect for. I know um, his, you know, coaches, I'll start with some guys that, uh, that we know well that are not with us anymore. Les Bartley. Communicator. I would say a mentor and legacy. When you look at what he's, the number yeah. of people we were talking about that not too long ago, the, the number of people that less is it's like the Bill Walsh tree in NFL football. When you, when you look at all the people that worked under Bill Walsh and, and that are, you know, and, and then under Bill Belichick that are in the league, less, less had that same impact. Uh, prepared and innovative for me, always prepared, always had new ideas. Uh, unbelievable guy to work, to work around, to be around. How about Dave Huntley? Hunts, I, I saw Hunts as a visionary. He, he said, he said things to me about players, about things in our game that were like it happened years later. And uh, one quick example for the 2006 uh, World Lacrosse Championships, when I was on the coaching staff for the field team, he sent an email out after Team USA named their team. He sent an email out telling us why we were going to win. And he went through their whole roster and said why we're better than them. And, and he analyzed it. And, and this was months before we played. And I remember after we won, and I, and I don't think a lot of people believed that we were going to win, including some people on our team. And, and he really believed it and, and saw the vision. And, uh, and I remember afterwards we won, I asked him if he could help me with the lottery numbers, but he could, couldn't help me with that. <laughs> Paulie Day, Dave Huntley. Oh, just gentlemen, great sense of humor. Um, always kind of made you feel special as being a lacrosse guy around him. Like he, he was the man in the room, uh, whether it was the old MILL now or you're at a Heritage Cup game or you're around Team Canada, he just made everybody feel great. I don't know if that's – he just – what a great man. Uh, I think passion and care for the game, especially the Canadian game. You know, I was fortunate to sit on a committee with him not long before he had unfortunately uh, passed away, and it was really good to be in the room with him. So, you know, just a lot of passion for the game. I, ha I have many, many, many Dave Huntley stories. There's probably two. Uh, one, interestingly enough, Eddie, you talk about uh, innovation – and and I think if you talk to Paul Rabel right now about the about the Premier Lacrosse League and what they're doing now, that was Hunt's idea um, is to go on tour. And I know Paul Rabel actually gives him credit for that. And and the uh, and the concept of a tour was always in the back of Dave Huntley's mind. And and Eddie, you and I had many conversations with him about that uh, and about the concept. And that was that was one of his hallmarks was was talking about a, a touring model. Uh, and, and you know what, uh, kudos to, to Paul Rabel and Mike Rabel who picked that cause up and, and have figured out a way to, to kind of get that done. Good for them. Um, the other one is the, the 2014 world games in in, uh, <laughs> 2014 world games in Denver. And we had a, a barbecue dinner before that at, at, uh, our doctor's house, Phil Stull. 
And uh, the leftovers were sitting there, and, and everybody's in a dorm, and nobody can take the leftover food with them. And Hunch grabs the leftovers, which are in like this this aluminum chafing disc, and he holds them over his head at the with the barbecue, and he goes, "The road to gold begins with aluminum." <laughs> One of my favorite stories. So, uh, how about Tony Resch, American coach? I know you guys all have interacted with Tony and have watched him work. And I certainly got to play for him for the Philadelphia Wings. And, and Paul, you're now the head coach. And his legacy, I think, lives on in Philly. Uh, talk about Tony Resch. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I think we go back to underrated. We can talk about underrated coaches in this league. Uh, like I played, me and Derek played against him when he was in Philly. Great player, big, strong, passionate guy about the game. And, uh, you know, as one of the – First coaches uh, with the wings, very professional guy, very professional college-like coach. And, uh, you know, I talked to him still today in Philly. And, uh, I mean, we made sure as a group we've tried to keep the history and uh, the legacy that he built, Hunt's built, uh, Mike French. That's very – every training camp, we talk about it all the time, and that's because of, because of Tony and – Hunts and guys before him. Thanks. I'm still waiting for my check. I, I, would, I would say intense for Tony. I, I thought he just always looked like he was like fiery, intense, but in control, like not, you know, screaming, yelling, just intense. And, uh, and you know what, I, again, disappointed. I know career-wise he had stuff going on, but he's a guy that, you know, probably should be coaching in our league still. And, and there's – room for guys like that. I do remember uh, the one funny story uh, at a certain draft in Buffalo where uh, the <laughs> him, his head coach and a certain GM uh, got up and left early because they had a flight. Tony had to get back to teach the next morning. So they had to catch a flight and, and turned around and left their list with uh, the, the table behind them and said, pick these guys in this order. <laughs> well, to be fair, we got all those guys because they were available. Nobody else was going to take them. And, and, you know, we had to catch a flight. <laughs> uh, what are your Tony, thoughts on Tony Rush? I still hear from Tony on occasion. What a great guy. You know, I, I have to say, uh, I played against him uh, for a couple years when he was in Philly. And he, he was a beast. And it was kind of when – they, we weren't playing any OD at all then. Well, maybe Kevy didn't play a lot of defense, you know, a little bit. <laughs> but, but there was really not a lot of OD. So, you know, we had to match up against certain guys. And I didn't see him a lot matching up against me when he was on offense. But when I went down to play offense, he was always on me. And he was <laughs> tough. He was hard to play against. And as a coach, like, I thought the innovation that he made from the players and the talent that he got mostly American players was incredible. Like he did a, he did a great job with, with those guys and uh, managed to, uh, I think evolve like sort of the field game into the, into the indoor game and, and uh, integrate the two with better than probably anybody has. You guys were uh, at least, I think there was a couple of you guys that were on the staff in the uh, uh, 2002 heritage cup where he was a head coach and, um, that was a uh, a shocking result, to say the least, for for the Canadian uh, side. So Tony was a head coach. Look, I played with the guy or played 
for the guy. He was my first coach in the mill and how he ever tolerated me uh, as a player, I'll never understand, but uh, yeah, I, certainly, yeah. <laughs> I, appreciate, I certainly appreciate um, Tony Resch significantly. I mean, the guy's won at every level. He's won everywhere he's gone. Every team he goes to, they win, and he's now coaching the PLL um, and wish he was still in the NLL. I think he's one of the only American coaches uh, in the Hall of Fame in the NLL, so uh, pretty interesting. Kevin Dance. Do you remember Kevin Dance? Of course. Uh, Steve Toll <laughs> is what comes to mind with Kevin Dance. Up one time. That's all I can think of. Yeah. <laughs> Ragdolled him, didn't he? Toller didn't fight a lot, and if he did, he didn't do very well, and he beat him up. Remember, Eddie? Oh, I, remember. <laughs> I remember. I remember yeah. Dance getting ragdolled, uh, no yeah. teeth and all. Maple Leaf Gardens, the 99 championship, and uh, we were yeah. down two or three, and Dancer thought he'd try and stir stuff up, and then he got beat up. I'm like, oh, boy. But Dancer, <laughs> hey, Eddie, like he was a competitor, and at one time, I think it was Junior 8 Player of the Year the one time, but competitor, and uh, yeah, he might have been, you know, he was the Kenny Linsman of lacrosse back then. Brad Marchant of these days, right? Small, yeah. but but uh, effective, but yeah, it got, you know, probably one of those guys that, you know, if you played with them, you'd say a oh, great teammate, but when you coached or played against him, you, you wanted to, well, I was going to say you wanted to knock his teeth in, but he didn't have any teeth. So it didn't he didn't have any teeth. I, I, my favorite Kevin Dennis story is a 1994 game against Detroit, and you guys weren't involved, but you probably all remember that game that ended in the third quarter in, in a, in a significant brawl and they call the game, but Kevin dance got cross-checked, uh, got cross-checked by Tom Marichek right in the face. And Kevin dance didn't like it very much. And he started going after Tommy Marichek and, and Tommy Marichek, Kevin dance didn't have any teeth and Tommy Marichek kept going, smile, Kevin smile. <laughs> and that's what started the whole thing. And, and all hell broke loose. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, utter and absolute anarchy and chaos in that game. So uh, that's that's the Kevin Dance story. Talk about Bob Watson. I know he was uh, instrumental in a lot of wins on the Toronto side, and Paulie on the Rochester side wasn't, uh, wasn't the most popular guy in the world. Oh, man, he was one of the best, eh, boys? Like, uh, I played with him in 97, went to a man in 97, man, he was a good player. He was, for me, it was just uh, a, I mean, he was great to coach because, you know, we would say, hey, here's what we're thinking about doing. So, yeah, whatever, Eddie, just let me know, you know, let me know, you know, no big, like he didn't, he was so easy going, but he was so clutch. Mm -hmm. Like when the games were on the line, he was, he was just spectacular. And, uh, and, and that, I mean, uh, I mean, I, I know we got a lot of great goalies in the league now, but I, I still don't think anyone is, is, is good and as clutch as what uh, Bob was? Uh, for me, because back in those days I coached the defense in Toronto, he was, he was a normal guy. And as we know, <laughs> goalie, goalies, goalies can be quirky. Like goalies really? can be very, very quirky. And we've all, we've all had all of them. And he was just a normal dude. Like he, he never got rattled. He never, ever, ever finger pointed. Uh, you know, the old – you know, shrug the shoulders and, you know, what's going on. He never, ever did that. The only, the only time he ever, and Eddie, you'll remember this story really well, when 
you know, I, I talked to Bob a lot because I was was with the defense most of the time, and we were watching film and talking about defenders on other teams. And we were, I think, we were playing Washington or Baltimore. I think Washington, and and I, and they were talking talking about their transition game. And I said, Bob, listen, guys like Brian Reese and 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 uh, Donovan, when they come down, they're gonna blast it hard and low every freaking time so just drop to your knees like they're not going to shoot anywhere else so we're playing actually in toronto at the air canada at the air canada center and brian reese runs down and fires one right over his shoulder well he looked over me at the bench with the worst glare i've ever i'm like oh, i'm sorry bob <laughs> threw one right in the top corner i'm like oh my bad <laughs> we, quality we, coaching well like, the analytics on that were in my favor but i feel yeah. When we used to practice, we'd ask uh, – one of the things we did with guys we – you know, Les did, we'd ask guys, you know, what they liked about practice. And guys would say, oh, you know, I like the camaraderie. I like the competition. I like the opportunity to, to get better and to learn. And so we get to whip and we say, so, Bob, what do you like about practice? He said, I like the pizza. He said, I like the pizza after practice. He said – direct quote, you think I like getting hit with a thousand balls? <laughs> Uh, John Grant Jr. I know, I, I know, Paulie. He was a, a staple in Rochester and was a player that uh, you had to spend a lot of time coaching. I know Eddie did the same when he was with Rochester. But uh, talk about talk about John Grant Jr. Yeah, you know, he grew up on my street, like seven doors down. So seven, eight doors down. He's seven or eight years younger than me. So in junior. I'd leave the rink after playing and him and Tracy Kluski would be on the floor uh, in Peterborough at the Mem Center shooting balls till like midnight. And obviously, the, uh, you know, I guess I started with Junior Rochester and Rochester dropped him and then uh, ended up, uh, he came back to Peterborough playing in 2016. And uh, just the maturity level from all the way through, it's, I mean, intense intense hard on himself unbelievable and uh you know one of the greatest you know he's in that conversation for the greatest ever play yeah i i, I mean i would agree and I, I think you know people talk about best player best this i mean i think he's he's the best all-around player with a stick in, in in the game and uh like just the things he did and he never really got credit for his passing and but uh, I remember the first practice with Paulie down in Rochester and Tonawanda, uh, you know, being a kind of a wise ass, the junior runs down and he takes her a reverse backhand, uh, like around the world or whatever they call it these days. And, and he, and he throws it and uh, it goes short side. And I just being a dick, I said, Hey junior, I didn't hear you call that. And he said, Oh, okay. The next one will be off the pipe and in far side. Sure enough, he goes down, catches the ball, <laughs> Around the back, off the piping in, and I was like, "Okay, like I gotta shut up." He was, he was that good, and uh, and, and you know, continues to, you know, you watch his videos and you see what he does. Uh, he's better than you know, probably most of the guys playing now still. Coach, he's a coach, uh, Johns Hopkins. As a as as a like, I only got to coach John in uh, in Prague in 2011 in Team Canada. It's the only time. Other than that, I've always been an opponent, and to me, scary. Like, you knew whenever the ball was in a stick, anything could happen, and you just didn't know what it was. So, 
he, he was just a scary guy with the ball on his stick. Could do anything. Yeah, still is. <laughs> still is. Hey, I stood in front of him one time with a water bottle on my head and let him shoot at my head, but he might be the only guy I'd let do that. Because if it was me on the other side of that, there's no way I would let me shoot at anybody's head. I, that would be bad. Who, who um, would? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Veltman. Uh, great I, I would leader. say leader. Yeah. I think that's yeah. the word for me too. And uh, I'm sorry, he, but I yeah, leader. He, he wasn't. He wasn't the most always the most vocal guy. But him and Terry Bullen, I used to call, and and you guys are old enough. You would know the commercial. I used to, I used to say they were like E.F. Hutton. You remember those old commercials on TV when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen, and and that was it with Jimmy and Jimmy. Jimmy just came in at the room and he played so hard every shift and did everything for the team. And uh, yeah, I mean, just great leader. If you, if you created a, a Mount Rushmore of lacrosse, uh, you know, indoor lacrosse, box lacrosse, ML, MILL national lacrosse league, Jimmy Veltman's on the Mount Rushmore. Is he not? I think so for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I would. I mean, I, that's my Mount Rushmore, and I think he would be up there with a lot of people, and probably a guy that, in the current day and age of, of as our game evolves and new fans and and all that fun stuff, he he may tend to be forgotten a little bit in the process because the conversation revolves around JT and and Gary and Paul and Junior and Casey and and you know a number of those guys, and but uh, I think Jimmy Veltman. Uh, probably deserves to be in the pantheon of the greatest players that's ever played our game. So, well, he's uh, just a guy, you know, what? ask him to do whatever it was and he could do it. Like, you know, you want to play offense tonight, all night. Yeah, sure. You want to play both ends. Sure. If you want to play out the back door and maybe, you know, power play man down the whole nine yards, he could do everything. And that's not many guys like that. And uh, I've told a few people this story, uh, the one championship in Toronto at Maple Leaf Gardens, uh, he had a penalty, comes out of the penalty box, ends up on a breakaway, goes in, doesn't score, and the guy kind of dives at him and kind of rolls up on his leg. And he comes to the bench, and it looks like he's crouching down. I, I thought it was his shoulder. So our, our uh, trainer, our athletic therapist, Dave Murray, I say, Dave, Dave, see, you better go check on V. And uh, so beside our bench, there, was, there were no seats at that time, so we had like a little table there. So he's got Jimmy up on the table and he's looking at his foot and Dave was really, you know, really worried. He said, oh, I don't know, Jimmy, I, I think it's broken. You know, we should probably go get an x-ray and I will never forget. I'm listening. I'm, I'm not looking. I'm just listening. Jimmy says, what's the difference if I get an x-ray now or get an x-ray after the game, tape it up and let's go. And he goes back out there. We win. <laughs> He goes to the post-game party with, with us all. And then the next morning, he shows up to our brunch on crutches. So yeah. that, uh, it, it shows, you know, what, what a leader he was. And, and again, like you say, uh, people, uh, people have forgotten about him. But uh, people that played with him or coached him certainly haven't. No. Another quick break. Coronado Brewing Company is proud to be the official craft beer partner of the Seals. Enjoy fan favorite Orange Avenue Wit and their new Salty Crew Blonde Ale all season long and visit coronadobrewing.com to find their award-winning beers near you. Stay coastal. Cheers. Okay, so I want to get back to having a little fun. Who would play the other guys in a movie? So 
Eddie, who plays Jammer? Who plays Paul Day? Well, first of all, I'd like to lay claim to victory of this podcast that I have the best hair on this <laughs> podcast. I'd like to lay claim to that right now. You guys are wearing their hats. No question. Well done. done. I'm, well I'm done, Eddie. I'm going to take claim to having the best double chin, too. So that, that's another story. <laughs> Uh, I, I would say, uh, Jammer, I would say Jason Statham. Is that a good, uh, oh, is that good a good, uh, you yeah. know, he's, he's like, he's got the, the look and the, you know, the suave, uh, look and the, uh, the suave. physique, the, uh, the, the physique, you know, yeah. uh, Paulie, I don't know. I, I, can't, I what, what do you think, Jammer? Who do you think would play Paulie? Mm, I'm thinking, uh, like Robert De Niro. <laughs> wow yeah. that's Robert high praise yeah Thanks, Mike, brother. you need a great actor to get under that that deep smoldering you know a little like Rona, that is paul day or like yeah paul who plays the other guys oh eddie for sure i'd say one of the bridges brothers uh, i think it's jeff bridges unbelievable actor yeah he's on uh been on a couple, isn't it? He's on Ozarks, but he's been on a couple of uh, Netflix things I've watched recently. And Jammer, uh, that's a good question. Jammer. Mm. I'm looking here. Do you want to know, know what my kids say? Who? Ed O'Neill. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Modern family. Married with children. Yeah, I, think it's, I, think more to, I think it's more to do with the attitude than the looks. There you go. That's hey, awesome. you know, I like to I like to finish off the podcast with uh, a relatively serious question, but um, you know, I think everybody that I've talked to has a story that they would love to see created into a thirty for thirty uh, around our league, around lacrosse, around kind of the you know just the, the world that we live in and have lived in for for a couple of decades together. Um, what's your thirty for thirty? My thirty for thirty would be. Transitioning from the mill and I guess the PLPA to the NLL and I was in Rochester with Steve Donner at the time. So um, I lived that and we just won the championship in 97 and then 98 came individual ownership and we were only allowed six Canadians. And then these guys end up in uh, Hamilton with a full team of 23 Canadians. I was like, who made the rules up for this league? <laughs> like we just won and we're not the best team in the league anymore. but. I would say that transition from the MLL to the NLL and obviously Paul and Gary had a big part in that and the PLPA and Steve Donner and some guys that Eddie we've worked with before. So that would be for me. I think for, for me, it would be, uh, and I, I kind of alluded to it earlier. I, I think it would be the, the, the Les Bartley legacy in, in our, in our league and uh, you know, how, how he started, and how it, uh, like how it's just grown, and and the people, you know, you look look around the league. We we did it one night with, you know, I've got Dan Lattisser on my staff, and and Sean Ferris. Both those people were in Toronto with us, and you know, we we started to go around the league, and it was it was just ridiculous the number of people. So I, I think just the legacy of Les and and how uh, how that's impacted our, our current league today, and it is going to impact it for a lot of years. Yeah, I, I think uh, yeah, that's yeah, I agree with that. Both you guys, awesome points. I think uh, to spend 
you know, an entire weekend filming what guys go through, whether they're living in the market or not living in the market or traveling and, and, you know, even spend two or three weekends with guys, what they go through in their regular day, day jobs and get on a plane and or get on a bus. And, you know, if you're in Toronto, even go to practice on a Tuesday night or drive to six nations to practice. And I think what the, the players go through to fulfill their passion, um, I think would be an interesting story as well. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, certainly I, I've agreed. They're all great stories. And a number of people that I've talked to have, have talked about, you know, a lot of these things, but uh, the sacrifice that our guys make to play uh, in the national cross league and, and what they're able to do in comparison to, you know, kind of other professional athletes that, that play at the highest level of the game in the major leagues, you know, premier league soccer and, and, and all that fun stuff. I mean, I got to tell you, it's an odyssey, uh, and that's why I think we joke and laugh about travel in the National Lacrosse League because we do travel commercially, and anybody that travels a ton for business uh, or pleasure that that uh, ultimately knows and understands what a commercial flight's like, um, you know, and does it every weekend, and, and the ability to to then get off a plane and go practice and and be prepared to play your game, man, uh, these guys are playing at a pretty high level, and the product they put on the field, on the floor is second to none and and i know most of the people that are going to watch this or listen to this are are fans of our game anyway and they know this already but uh, uh kudos kudos to our players and and i know you guys have a great amount of respect for for all of the guys in our league and what they do and and uh yeah so look to wrap up i i just uh, I want to I want to say thank you. Uh, you guys are certainly uh, role models for me in this league, and um, I, I think every day about uh, how we grow this game. and And uh, I, I look to my left and look to my right and realize that uh, I've got amazing brethren in the game to uh, help continue to cast the legacy. and And you guys certainly set that fantastic example. So thank you for for everything you're doing for the National Lacrosse League, and and thank you for uh, for continuing to be uh, to be there as rocks in this league and and uh, and guys that we all count on uh, to to bring. Uh, really intelligent thought to the future of, of how we play. So thanks, fellas, for being on the show. I appreciate having you. All right. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, guys. Thanks, thanks for having us. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, thanks Steve. guys. Thanks.